Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted. Please see the impact they are having in their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Missy and I are super excited about our guest. We have with us Blair Lynn. And let me guys, let me tell you guys a little bit about who she is, and then we'll jump right into the interview. So Blair is an author. She's a speaker, an actress, and she is a Christian spoken word artist. She has appeared in several theater productions, commercials, and even television shows, including Days of Our Lives, Alias, Malcolm in the Middle, Boston Public, The Parkers, and American Dreams, as well as her own Saturday morning show called Skate on NBC. I can't wait to hear all about this, Blair. It's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) She has toured globally and is known as one of the originators of the Christian spoken word genre. At age 13, she was one of the youngest contributors at the World Stage Anansi Writers Workshop. Since then, she has written poetry for Sprite, Neutrogena, NBC, and the Gospel Coalition. She's been featured on ABC's Nightline, 102.3 KJLH, Revive Our Hearts, The Los Angeles Times, and several Christian hip-hop albums. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus through spoken word is her passion. We can't wait to talk about it. She lives with her husband, Shy, and their three children in Philadelphia, and she serves discipling women at Risen Christ Fellowship. She is a contributing writer to the devotional. It's called His Testimonies, My Heritage. And her brand new book, Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness, just released October 1st of this year. Blair, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yay, friend. Like, I know you um, as Blair. Uh (laughs) That's me. (laughs) And so... Hearing all this is just so encouraging because for women in work, one of the things is that we're trying to do is demystify the idea that our work puts us in this other class because God has called all of us to work. And so it's beautiful to say, I know Blair is Blair and she's done all these great things. And so, okay, so before we get started, Courtney and I love to do this thing called rapid fire questions that we ask all of our our guests. So I'm going to start us off. Okay, so as a kid, what did you want to be when you grow up? I actually wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a movie star. Yeah. Okay. My mom told me when I was like three years old, I said, I want to be, I remember telling her, I want to be a movie star. She said, you want to be an actress? I said, no, just a movie star. (laughs) 
She said, I don't want the work. I just yeah, want- right. Yeah, this, you know, hey, the light, the camera, the action. Right. That's awesome. Yes. So what was your first job? My first job was a Pizza Hut commercial. Okay. <laughs> okay. Most of us, it's Pizza Hut. Yeah, I did a Pizza Hut commercial when I was 13. Yeah, so that was my Amazing. first job. That is okay. crazy. Blair, do you have footage of this stuff? Like, do you just, can you just flip back for your kids and show them you at 13 and Pizza Hut commercials? Right. Some of it I do. Um, there was a period of time where I, like, you can reach out basically to the production companies and get copies of them. But a lot of them are on VHS. Like, so they're like sitting in a box in our basement right now. And awesome. yeah, I need to get them transferred. Mm-hmm. You should. And okay. then send us a link. Yes, <laughs> please. Okay. And so the third question is, what kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80 years old? Hmm, that's good. When I'm 80 years old, I want to be discipling women. I pray that I am wise and mature and seasoned, that I have a lot to pour into uh, the women in my life. So that's what, and you know, I mean, my children, not just women, but you know, just that I'm able to be fruitful in my old age. I love it. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are so blessed with guests, Missy, who have that heart. I can't tell you, I feel like so many women we talked to on this podcast have the exact same answer for when they're 80. That it's their family and pouring their lives out, um, discipling other women. So I think That's that beautiful. we're in good company with Blair today. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That's sweet. Well, after reading that bio of you, Blair, I mean, we I am fascinated with all of what you have done in your life and what the Lord has led. And so we just want to get to know you a little more. Tell us a little bit just about kind of your background, where you grew up and how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah. So I was, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, You know, so my mom was, she was a single mom. She took care of my sister and I. Um, And I made a profession of faith when I was nine years old because we often attended church church revivals. We stayed in church. <laughs> we were in church for hours at a time. Um, it's funny now because our um, the sermon that uh, we get every Sunday, I think our, our service is maybe two hours and people think that's long. I'm like, you don't know long oh, service. No. <laughs> you know. Oh no. Yes. Oh, right. Um, so I made a profession of faith when I was nine. I was baptized and went on to really live a pretty moral life. Um, if I compared myself to other people, I often, in my own mind, came out on top. I was doing okay. Mm. It wasn't until I was 22 years old that I met someone who actually shared the gospel with me. And what was different about what I had heard previously, because I was raised in the church, so I heard about Jesus. I don't think I understood how God viewed sin. That was not clear to me. I didn't understand things like sins of the heart. So it was like, yeah, you don't sleep with your boyfriend. You don't, you know, the quote unquote big sins. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when it came to sins of the heart, that was a non-category for me. So when I started to realize, wait, okay, God cares about all of me, even my thought life, (laughs) right? Like he knows all. Um, And I started digging into the scripture in particular, like the book of Romans. And I remember even Ephesians two, just Mm. spending extensive time meditating on that. Like, wait, you were dead in your sins and transgression. I didn't think I was dead, you know? And so I was like, well, wait, but the Bible says I am dead, you know? And so I just started to have to agree with God. 
Okay. You know, because I, I said I respected and honored his word and mm. I wasn't living according to it. So as I began to agree with God and his word, I started to get convicted over my life. And once I did that, uh, I remember actually feeling a state of I was in a state of despair. I was praying to God and just overwhelmed by the mm. thing that he was revealing that was in my mm. heart and in my life. And as I began to call out to him and say, I'm guilty. It was in that moment that I was reminded, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. And I've provided a remedy in Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. And I remember thinking, that's why it's good news. That's why it's good. Wow. Like, and it just clicked at that moment. And I was like, whoa, I've lived my whole life. And I had not, you know, prior to this moment, connected with Christ personally. So, so thankful to have, yes. have, have been regenerated. <laughs> So good. That is so good. So how did you, so now you guys are, you're married and you're in Philadelphia. How did you meet uh, Shy? How did you come from Los Angeles to Philadelphia or, because I knew Shy before it was Shy and Blair. So how did you wind up from Los Angeles to Philadelphia and then get connected with your husband? Yeah. So actually I got connected with him. We were a uh, long distance. So I was still living in Los Angeles and we both got invited to minister at an event in Long Beach, California. So it was an outreach event where I shared a poem and Shai shared um, a couple songs at that event and just kind of, you know, met each other in passing. And then two months later, we were at another event together. We were on a panel <laughs> together. And then maybe like two or three months later, we were at another event together. <laughs> Who is this guy, right? Right. And all he's talking about is Jesus. So mm, that great. certainly stood out to me. Um, and so at the end of that year, we were at a conference in Atlanta and we kind of had our first real conversation. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I've seen you, I know your name. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, tell me a little bit more, you know. Yes, who are you? Yeah, who are you really? Um, and so we had our first conversation there. And then after that, um, what contacted each other like via email and he was like, well, what's your testimony? And I responded, well, what's yours? And <laughs> um, and then we kind of had that exchange. And long story short, the Lord is, you know, blessed where he pursued me and we got engaged and married. And then when we got married, literally two months before we got married, I moved to the East Coast for the very first time, um, got married. And we were in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Yeah, and then I remember that. Ago, yeah. And then six years ago, the Lord put on my husband's heart, um, along with a friend, to plant a church here in Philadelphia. And so we moved up six years ago um, and planted Risen Christ Fellowship. So that's how we landed here. And now we have three kids. I know. Seven and six. Yeah, things have They're beautiful. changed and grown and yeah. So yeah. Living in Philly now. <laughs> it's so sweet to see that, to have been a person on the sidelines, watching the Lord do all those things. And, mm. and it's just so sweet. Yeah. It really yeah. is a blessing. And your children are incredible. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. So you, Missy, you and Blair, you guys connected in Philadelphia when you still live there. Is that right, Missy? Yes. Shy okay. was a member of the church we planted. So when Blair moved to the East Coast and was being in relationship with shy it's how we all met because all the christian rappers in the east coast came to our church at the time okay <laughs> and so we need to just inform our listeners that your husband both both of your husbands yes. are christian yes. rappers so i feel like yes. this is a whole i mean we're here to talk to you blair but i i want our listeners to be- become aware 
of your husband's ministries as well. And maybe we can even provide a link to some of this uh, so in great. the show notes. But um, I mean, that's fascinating. In my world, beautiful. I don't know Christian rappers. So, you know. know, and our husbands are really tight, like they're brothers. Friends, and so yes. it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And what's also sweet is this has nothing to do with anything, but uh, Shy and Blair walked with me and Deuce through some pretty tough seasons in our lives. And so those mm-hmm. types of things to be able to watch God do those things and have people who have walked with you from one point all the way to the other is yeah. a sweet gift. Absolutely. Well, I just wish we were closer. That's I do too. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. We still praying about that, Lord. Yes. Hearts. <laughs> uh-huh. Awesome. Well, who knows? Who knows? That's right. So Blair, we want to talk to you um, about some of the things that you've had the opportunity to do. As I mentioned, you you mentioned you've been in commercials, you've been on, I mean, I will confess, I watched Days of Our Lives as a high schooler. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's not, I guess I'm not super proud of it at this point, but um, yes. Um, It was what to do the back then. (laughs) So you've acted, you're writing, you're doing uh, the poetry and the spoken word. How did you discover you were a creative person? Was that something Mm. that others saw in you that they drew out? Or how did you even discover like, no, I really love this? Yeah. You know, I think a big part of my discovery of being a creative was my mom. So, you know, my mom really, my mom is a creative person. So she's a poet Um, she had, I remember when we were coming up, wrote plays, like we would do church plays, community plays. Um, you know, I think even in her earlier years, we were in a very small town where I was born. Um, you know, she did modeling and acting and things like that, Mm, um, even where she was. So it was kind of like her having this desire and this dream. And I think her kind of encouraging her children to walk in that as well. Uh, even I think about my grandmother, her mother is a poet. Wow. She would quote poetry. Amazing. So it's in your blood. You see that, yeah, you see it in the blood. And, um, and so I, from nine years old, I remember I would go every Wednesday night to the world stage and I would listen to poetry. Sometimes my mom wow. recite poetry and I started writing at nine years old. And I think I got on the stage and shared my first poem. I probably was like 11 or 12. Wow. Um, you know, so just growing up in that community, it's cool now because it was, I mean, it was a poetry spot where you would see Sonia Sanchez or Saul Williams or, you know, so I was like, here's this little nine-year-old me <laughs> kind of brushing shoulders with these wonderful artists and professors wow. and thinkers. And um, so it was a really wonderful opportunity. And because my mother was so well connected, you know, she got us involved in community plays. And at nine years old, she helped me to get my first agent, you know, um, to begin acting. So yeah, I think she really helped cultivate that. I'm really grateful for that, you know, for that experience. Very cool. So, well then starting in this industry, having your mom as kind of your connection to it, but yet growing up as a Christian, even though I know you were a child and it wasn't the same, Mm -hmm. how did you or did you even think through how am I honoring Christ in this field as an actress? I'll tell you this, Trinity, my daughter, did one thing. Her and Jeremiah Mm -hmm. modeled for um, car seats and they said to them, Uh they said to us, they should, they need agents, they'd be great. And my husband's response Mm -hmm. was, 
you start off with lunch boxes and you end up naked on the beach. She's not doing it. <laughs> Shut it down. Hey. <laughs> There might be some wisdom there. I mean, you know, he no. shut it down <laughs> quick. So they did one thing each. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here you. So, yeah, but how did you do that? Yeah, it's interesting because I did have certain convictions. You know, as I mentioned, I was a professing believer, even though, you know, now I know I, I didn't truly know Christ, but I was a professed believer. And so I remember times going on auditions after I did a show, maybe it was Malcolm in the Middle. I worked on Malcolm in the Middle and there were certain shows who just wanted me to be on their show, you know, so basically was ready to offer me the show. And um, I don't know if you guys remember this show, uh, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. I do. Okay. So they had basically offered me a role. The role was I was speaking against the Bible. I mean, it was just very openly against everything that I said I believed in. And I remember going there and saying, to the casting director, um, I don't feel comfortable doing this because this goes against everything that I believe in. Um, and she said, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. And it was very hard to make that decision. Um, but she says, okay, we'll consider you for another role. You know, if something else comes up that, you know, is better fitting. But then wow. I also have the example of when I did work on Days of Our Lives. So the thing about when you work on um, soap operas, it's a different type of taping than, mm-hmm. a, than a sitcom or than even a show like Malcolm in the Middle, where you record the whole week for most shows. Oh. A sitcom, you practice the whole week and then you record live. So okay. you know, it's a live audience. With a, a, a soap opera, you get the script sometimes that morning or there can be changes that morning. You memorize that script that morning and you record what you would typically do in a week, you do it in one day. So it really is almost like theater. So you have maybe one, maybe two opportunities to get it right and they gotta move on. So it's pretty amazing when you think about what like actresses who've been on soap operas for like 20 years, like to be able to have the recall. But anyway, so I show up one day and I have a reoccurring role on Days of Our Lives. Um, and in the script is a curse word. Now, in my mind, I said, I would never curse. I didn't want to curse on, you know, period. But I was too afraid to talk to the director because I thought, you know, I just felt like there wasn't any room. I have this script. Right. It's in the script. And so um, I was too afraid to speak up. And so Mm -hmm. I did it. So there Mm -hmm. was me compromising. And it was so crazy because the curse word was, you know, it's a curse word, so it's bad. But I was so nervous that I said even a worse curse word while we were (laughs) recording. (laughs) I was just so, like, (laughs) nervous. Don't you hate it? I know, right? I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this anyway. That's what it is. (laughs) But I, I made the decision when I was 22, I came to the Lord. I acted a few more years after that. And, um... I made the decision that unless I could have a bit more creative control over mm-hmm. my career, I mm-hmm. didn't want to put myself in any more compromising situations like that. And I wanted to be in a situation where if someone offered me, because there were some roles where they offered a, 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 a nice amount of money, you know, could mm-hmm. buy a car every week, more than a yeah. car every week, you know? Wow. Um, so I said, I want to be in a position where I can say no. Yeah. Like I won't be so tempted, right? That I'll feel that I have to compromise. And if I don't feel that I can do that, I'm just gonna bow out. And so I just took a hiatus and said, okay. until I can get there, 
It's funny now because I've thought I've had like some opportunities come up um, that I'm like, oh, I would do a Christian, you know, production Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, or a production where I had more creative control. So I'm thinking about that now as some opportunities potentially are coming up. But yeah, it's it's so much to think through and there is a lot of opportunity to compromise and you really do have to have a good support system. And as a believer, you have to have the ability to say no. Mm -hmm. Like you can offer me a million dollars and but I love Jesus more or I have these convictions. And so I'm going to say no. Right. Takes a lot of rule by. Yeah, that's amazing. So you said your your mom got you an agent when you were nine years old. And this makes sense now knowing that you grew up in Los Angeles. Um, right. Because at first I thought, well, if you're if you grew up in Philadelphia, I'm like, how in the world are you getting out? <laughs> it makes sense now. Right. So behind the scenes of these shows, sitcoms, um, soap operas, were there many Christians working there? Or just tell us, kind of fill us in for those of us who are, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. What's the culture like yeah. um, in those situations? Yeah, you know, there are there are a lot of Christians who are in um, the entertainment industry and who are acting. I went to a, a church in Los Angeles where there were a lot of people who were in, you know, the creative arts and in the entertainment industry who were there. So that was helpful even to have that support system. Um, but it, it's it's it really does depend. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you think about it and I remember. I was doing a show, actually, I was filming a show in Vancouver, Canada. This was my first time being away from my family. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, a teenager still, um, you know, wow. there for months at a time, right? Wow. The Lord protected me. So yeah. the Lord really protected me my whole career, right? Wow. Um, I, I was really guarded from a lot of the things that you see, you know, some of these actresses fall into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there definitely was temptation that came and I'm like, what, like, where is that coming from? And wow. you have a situation where you are vulnerable. I remember feeling mm-hmm. quite depressed because it's like, I'm here in a sense. Yes. I'm working with, you know, I have these coworkers, but I don't really know them very well. They, some of them weren't even my same age or didn't have my same interest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it can be a very lonely experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and I remember there was a good friend of mine who I thought was a good friend and we would hang out. He was working on a different show and I was like, okay, cool. We're friends. We're around the same age. Um, and I remember one time he says, how come you haven't hit on me? And I was like, what? You know, just like (laughs) things like that, that you're like, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I was just sorry. Yeah. I'm like, we over here in Canada. I don't know anybody. You know, I know you. Can I just have a friend? Yeah, we're just friends, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I remember even being there was a, a a lady, a young lady who was an extra on the show I was working on, and she was like, "Oh, we were talking like behind the scenes," and she was like, "We should grab dinner sometime." I was like, "Sure," you know, we're same age, and then we grab dinner, and then she tries to hit on me. Oh you know? my goodness! So you know. So it's so interesting. And of course, you know, thank the Lord. I was just like, what? I was just shocked, you know, but I have friends who have talked about drugs and, you know, just, you know, finding themselves in very compromising situations. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you're, you're working on a project with other people and they're like, let's go hang out. And you think, okay, but you don't know 
how they view hanging out and how you view hanging out. Right. Completely different things. Interesting. So, um, so yeah, it's, and even some of the stories that I have heard, it really has encouraged me and the Lord, just his protection over me. Yes. I mean, yeah. Being in a foreign country as a teenager by yourself. Um, and so I just thank the Lord. I didn't get caught up in many of the things that I probably could have. And I think if I probably wasn't as, I don't know, I want to say like naive, but you know, just like, I'm just, my mind isn't even there, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm really thankful for that. Yes. So I want to talk to you about your poetry. So Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me. I didn't know that your grandmother and your mother were both poets. I think that is so just, oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Like we could spend forever on that alone. But so when you think of your, you being a nine-year-old writer and then the writer that you are now, Mm -hmm. who and what, how was your craft honed? How did that become a thing that is went from, this is sweet to, oh man, this is, (laughs) this is incredible. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I first started writing at nine, um, I was more so writing about my ethnicity. I was writing more about my personhood and, you know, trying to come into my own, you know. So, you know, I'm I'm a black young girl and, you know, I mean, and here's the story I want to tell. And when I was maybe around 17 or so, I remember like reading through the Bible all the way through for the first time, just kind of having more of a hunger for spiritual things. And I thought Mm -hmm. these things are more important than just the natural, you know? So Mm -hmm. I want to incorporate scripture in the poetry that I'm doing. And I was a part of like a youth department at our church. And I remember we would have these shut-ins and like just youth events. And I remember telling the youth pastor, can I do a poem? You know, I'm going to try to incorporate, you know, I just had my little vision down because at the time, really the genre of Christian poetry wasn't, it really wasn't anything that we know it as it is today. Right. Right. So I was just kind of taking a step of faith and, you know, trying something new. And, um, and I would get my, um, my, you know, my girlfriends who are also in the youth department and say, let's do something together. So the three of us might do like a uh, group poem and one person singing. And, you know, we just flipped <laughs> around with a lot of things. And um, but then when I came to the Lord, um, I came to the Lord at 22. When I came to the Lord, I remember one of the first prayers I prayed to him was, OK, I have abused and misused all of my gifts. It's all been about me. It's not been about you. And, you know, in my zeal, I said, I don't want to do anything. You know, I just want you, you know, I don't need to do anything else, you know? Um, And that was, I was content with that. And of course the Lord does have good works for us to do, right. That he's, he's prepared for us in advance um, that we should walk in them. And so I remember writing a poem sharing my testimony and the church that I used to attend asked me to come and share poetry at a poetry event that actually I had helped start some years earlier. And I went to that event and I just shared the poem, sharing my testimony. And from that point, other people said, well, you come to this church and would you come to this church? And I never asked anyone to go anywhere, you know, or to share poetry. People just kept asking me to come and share. And, and so I just kept going kept saying yes. So kind of the, um, your experience was the way your craft was honed. It was kind of starting off with a heart to do it, do something that somebody else hasn't done before. Mm -hmm. And 
just taking the opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Just kept going. And I love what you said um, that you, you took a step of faith. You tried something new. Mm-hmm. And we love that here at Women in Work is just seeing mm-hmm. women confidently step into their calling. And it takes so much faith to do that. And, um, and I love how you really wanted it to matter for the kingdom, incorporating mm-hmm. those things of the Bible. It's really beautiful. That's and right. so um, how did you decide? I have recently learned because <laughs> the rapping world has not been something I'm familiar with. But I've recently learned that a lot of rap comes from poetry. Right. And yeah. so how did you decide, okay, I do not, or was there ever a decision? Maybe it was just what you, maybe it was just the experience you just walked through, but did, did the idea of putting your poetry to a more melodic, you know, um, was there a conscious decision to not try to rap it or just speak mm. it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I, so it's funny in high school, I did rap a little bit. I tried to be a battle rapper for a hot minute. <laughs> um, but, but poetry was really more so kind of my lane, you know, because I've been doing it since I was nine years old. Um, and even the idea of spoken word poetry, which is more of, it's more of a performance-based poetry where you take, you can use meter, um, but it has more of a, it's more about the sound and it's more about, you know, kind of punchy lyrics that, um, that, that, that reaches to the audience more so than writing poetry to be read, um, you know, or just kind of fitting into just a typical metered uh, poem. Um, there's, I don't know, there's a little more flexibility that you have with spoken word poetry um, because you're engaging the audience in what you're doing. And so, um, so yeah, so that was kind of more so just my lane and, and what I felt more comfortable doing because I've been doing it for so long. Um, yeah, I enjoy rapping, you know, it's fun, but it's just, you know, I do have a respect for that art form. And I realized that like, I don't fully know what I'm doing. (laughs) So for our listeners, for our listeners who may be unaware, there is, there are some elements, um, of care and characteristics of rap and spoken word that are the same, Mm -hmm. but they are distinct art forms and, when you run into people like a Jackie Hill who can kind of do both, mm-hmm. it's easy to think that they're the same thing, but we're married to rappers who would tell you they are not spoken word artists. Right. And Blair is saying, I'm a spoken word artist. I am not a rapper. And so that's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing of recognizing that this is an art form in and of itself, not to be confused with something else. That's right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you are performing spoken word, first of all, what do you love about it, right? I mean, there has to be something you're like, like when you're in the middle of performing that, mm. what, what is it in you that says, oh, I was made for this? And then on the flip side of that, what are you hoping your listeners will gain or feel or even just experience as, mm. as you are serving them? Yeah, I am just privileged to be able to take this art form of spoken word and clearly communicate the gospel, clearly communicate yeah. Christ and his His work, um, the impact that he's had upon my life. Um, and so I'm praying that, you know, as I engage with, you know, the, those who are listening, that they will be able to get a clear message of Christ right. <laughs> and, and, and what the Lord is able to do. Um, you know, that's my desire. And so, you know, when you love the Lord, 
as you, you know, you ladies love the Lord, we desire to make him known and mm-hmm. we will use any means right. that we have access to whatever <laughs> our gifts are to make him known. And so this just happens to be, you know, one, one way that I can, that I'm privileged really to do that. And it's interesting because I remember one time sharing a poem and someone coming up afterwards saying to me, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. And I thought, this was wow. earlier when I, when I, maybe I was maybe a believer for a year or two, wow. you know, and had been sharing poetry. And I thought from a poem, I think it just shifted my mind on what the Lord could do. Yes. It's not about the poetry. It's the Lord can use, he uses the foolish things of the world. Yes. Right? <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's like he can take whatever you have, um, you know, we're little clay jars, right? But he's the eternal treasure living inside of us. So it's like if you have a card business, right, and you want to just make cards for people in your church, um, you know, the Lord can use that. Or Absolutely. you paint, you know, the Lord can use that. Or, Absolutely. you know, you just want to serve people. Something I love to do is when people are sick in our church, I love making baskets for them like get well baskets, you know, it's like the Lord can Aww, use that. That is know? so awesome. Um, and it's not a business, but hey, there's an idea for you. If you want to start a business, make it that <laughs> specific to the person's needs. Yes. Use that. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. our desire is just to make him known. I love that. Beautiful. Wow. Okay. So there are moments I'm um, obviously married to a musician and I music has always been huge in my life, but also just the arts has always been huge huge in my life. And there are moments when you will never forget. I saw this performance and something about that just changed everything about even the way I see spoken word or I Mm -hmm. hear orchestra or whatever. And one of those moments for me with spoken word, because I'm friends with a lot of spoken word artists, but one of those moments was when you did the perfection of beauty, Mm -hmm. watching you do that. I was just like, what? Mm -hmm. It was the way you presented it. It was the eloquence. It was I think the fact that you, it seemed very connected to you mm. and not an, um, not a performance. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what inspired that piece and how long did it take you to write it? For our listeners, please, it is on YouTube. It's under Shyland because she's featured on Shyland's, her husband's thing, but, um, record. But to it's, it too. You, please. Yes. It, the link should be in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But please tell us, tell us. Blair, how long did it take you to write it? What inspired that? How did how did that come about? Yeah, I um, so I was asked to write that for my husband's album, which is Lyrical Theology Part One, mm-hmm. where he does. Um, wait, is that Lyrical Theology or the Attributes of God? Actually, I'm sorry. I th- I was going to say I thought it was the Attributes, but attributes because I'm getting it wrong. Yes. Yeah, do so- you remember? Before you say it. Courtney, audience, listeners, her husband released this album called The Attributes of God, which please go by, please Mm. go by. But he has a listening party for it. And he does the listening party in a museum in the building where you, the astronomy happens. So we're sitting in a room and the the room is dark, but the sky is lighting up with stars and planets and moons. And we're listening to the attributes Mm. of God and Blair's peace is on there. (sighs) Incredible. Yeah. Changed the game. Yeah. That was an amazing listening party. Um, That was like, what a wonderful idea that the beautiful, yeah. Like, I don't know the stars and everything kind of moving in line with the music. Mm. 
was wow. like, yeah, that was different. It was, it was, it was <laughs> something sure. I will never forget. Yes. So, yeah, so that, I mean, I was privileged that, you know, Shai asked me to be a part of that and breaking down one of the attributes of God, which is his beauty, um, you know. And so when he asked me, I'm trying to think, it didn't take me very long to write that poem because wow. I don't know that I had a long time to write that poem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say maybe it took a couple days, maybe two or three days. Wow. Yes. Um, you know, and... I love like when I do create, I love feedback, you know, so I'll write and then I love, you know, allowing other people to hear it because I want to make sure sometimes when we're artists, it's easy for us to know what we want to say, but yes. it can be quite um, vague and uh, it may not it, it may not always transfer <laughs> right. to, mm -hmm. to those who are listening. Right. And so I, I because I want to be as clear as possible you know, I was able to get feedback and uh, and then probably go and edit, you know, make the edits and make adjustments. And uh, yeah, it was a privilege to be a part of a part of that album. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Please, people, you want to listen to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So shy, um, I was about to say, call you shy. Blair. Sorry. <laughs> Blair, we're one. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I love it. Your book, and I'll say the name of it again, it's called Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals mm -hmm. the Pain of Fatherlessness. So um, how did how did this book come about? How tell us your experience a little bit, and what are you hoping your readers? Uh, what are you hoping for for them as they read? Yeah, yeah. So I this book came about actually four, five or six years ago. I was invited to minister at the Legacy Conference, which is in mm -hmm. Chicago at Moody, and they asked me what I wanted to speak on, and I thought. I want to speak on fatherlessness, um, you know, just based upon the demographic of those who were going to be attending. Wow, I thought yeah. it might resonate with them. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was actually a workshop specifically geared towards women when I initially did it. I wrote out the workshop and, you know, I started off the workshop just sharing some of my own my personal experience. I shared that my mom was a single mom. Um, you know, and so, you know, we moved from Michigan to Los Angeles when I was three years old. My relationship with my dad was one in that he wasn't, he never lived in the same home as me. Um, he lived in the Midwest and we would speak over the phone. And I don't even know that I could say every year, but when we would, it would be maybe a couple times that we would talk each year. Um, so there wasn't a lot of depth there in our relationship. Um, and so, and it was very hard because I remember even, I don't know, being eight or nine and thinking, I really desire more from my father, but I was too afraid to speak up and tell him that because mm -hmm. I felt like if I did, maybe I would lose the little bit of him that I had, you mm -hmm. know, so fear kind of kept me quiet. And, um, but it was hard, you know, I mean, my mom struggled and she did her best, you know, to give us, you know, the life that would, you know, that we desire to have, like I said, in the entertainment industry and, um, you know, did her best to send us to charm school and get us in the best public schools. She couldn't afford the private schools, but, you know, got us in the best public performing arts schools um, in the city. And, um, you know, and, and I just, I walked through in my, well, in the workshop, you know, just letting the, the ladies at the time know that I get it. <laughs> like, I know how hard it is to not have your father because he's physically absent. Um, and also you have fathers who could be in the home, but they're 
emotionally or spiritually absent, right? So I addressed all of that. Um, And as I said, the response went so well. And afterwards, there there happened to be um, someone from a publishing house that was at the workshop that I didn't know was there, who asked me if I would be willing to write on it. And I said, I would love to write on this, Um, but just a series of events happened in life that it kept being pushed off and I didn't get a chance to. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, of course, he knew it. If you read my story, I explain why I think that is. Um, but, um, yeah, it just, it just was the Lord's will that it would all happen now. And so I've had the privilege of, of writing this book and the book is not just to women. It's for men and women. Um, I even have my husband write a chapter of the book specifically to men. Um, you know, my husband has a very similar story to mine and that he didn't have his father in his home, um, you know, as well. So us coming together being believers. And what I talk about is, you know, having God as our father, but also having a family in the church and how the Lord has used that spiritual adoption and what comes with that to really minister to, to us so that Lord willing, we're doing something new and different, um, that we had not seen witnessed, at least in our homes. It's amazing. I love that. Well, I pray the Lord will bless you guys in that and you will create mm-hmm. a brand new generation of spiritual legacy in your family. Mm-hmm. Well, as we, as you think about, I mean, you said you spoke to these women in Chicago. That was kind of your first audience to to talk through this with. I mean, the, the fact of fatherlessness has a huge impact on each of us personally, if we've walked through that, but it also mm-hmm. just on the culture, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, how, how would you say, especially for women in particular, and, and, and as we're thinking through women's work, you know, mm-hmm. are there some ways you, you see fatherlessness impacting culture and work for women? Mm-hmm. Well, one way that I saw it grow, you know, when I was coming up was the burden to provide was placed upon my mother, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my father never paid child support, um, you know, never, never provided in that way um, for us. And, and and one of the things I talk about in the book too is this idea of just black fatherhood because oftentimes I see that I see it thrown around and and so I wanted to make sure that I addressed it. And I think sometimes we have to understand the context of, you know, just historically what's happened. Um, if we want to take the time to consider black fathers where, whereas if you look, for example, in the 70s, where there was many of the jobs that African-American men would hold, they were taken away. You know, a lot of the, um, the trades and a lot of um, the factories that shut down during those times, that had a huge impact upon African-American men. Wow. And one of the things as I was doing my research, I came and I, I, I found was that employment it actually uh, is a determining factor on whether or not a, a, a man will marry the mother of their child by eightfold, eightfold. Wow. So oh it's a huge gosh. determining factor, right? Wow. And so you take away those jobs from those men, and then, 
And then also you have welfare, right, um, which I talk about as well, which was used mm-hmm. to help mother and children. But one of the stipulations was that you could not have a man in the home in order to get benefits. I didn't know that. And it was it, and it was enforced primarily in African American communities. Right. And so which you incentivizes have mother, men to not be there. To not be there. Uh-huh. If you want your 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 woman or your wife and your children to actually be able to eat, you can't live in that home. And then not only that, you have the, you know, in the government, right? They are actually providing for the mother of your child and your children as well. So that doesn't incentivize, right? Fatherhood or the family. Um, And then you have the crack epidemic in the eighties and, you know, uh, which, you know, my father actually fell prey to that as well. So that that had a huge impact. Um, so I say all that to say, um, you know, when we understand the context um, of what has happened to our men, mm-hmm. it's going to help us to see where we are, I think, as women. Uh, and, 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 you know, my hope in the book is we need men. Men are important. Mm-hmm. Fathers are important. Um, and, and if there's some way, I, I would love if, you know, I mean, I'm not in politics, but like policies to to encourage employment for men, like that will right. make a huge difference in the lives right. of many families, sure. um, you know. And so so that has had a huge shift. I even see, you know, in, in particular in the African-American community, we have a lot of uh, black women who are well educated, more educated than often uh, the men and just the dynamic there. Right. Um, you know, so there are a lot of issues <laughs> that we need to address, um, you know, and there are a lot of ways that this fatherlessness and even historically, like I said, things that ha- have happened in the 70s are impacting us now. Um, and so, yeah, so that's one way I'm kind of rambling. but <laughs> Sure. No, it's so helpful well, to understand a lot of I mean, I didn't know some of the things you just mentioned. So thank you. Mm. One of the things that is true we have in common is um, we single moms in uh, inner city communities mm-hmm. doing what they can, being our heroes, being mm-hmm. superheroes mm-hmm. in homes that have absent fathers. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to sit back and um, be mad at the decisions that were made many years from before. Mm-hmm. It makes sense now to look forward and say, how can I provide something different for my family? Yeah. And then how do I use the gospel to impact whatever men are in my life mm-hmm. and whatever women who've been affected by this? Amen. But so my question for you is though, without us, without you or me or Courtney or any other, uh, any other of us, because, you know, I've talked to other women who are not just African-American women who have single, mm-hmm. uh, single parents who have raised either, like you said, emotionally or physically absent parents, um, dads, but we know that that affects us. So how would you say that a lack of relationship with your biological father affected your relationship with the Lord? Mm-hmm. How, um, have, did you, have you seen that? And if so, have you been able to work through those consequences or effects? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, address even what you mentioned before, because I think that's really important as well. And something I mentioned in the book is I say we're all victims and rebels, right? So there are ways that we've been sinned against. We can't change the ways that our parents have sinned against us if they have. Um, But what we can do is we can take responsibility for how we respond to what they have done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually, um, you know, no matter the 
um, you know, the level of pain. And it's important for us to deal with our pain head on and to be honest about our story and our situation to know that it's not too hard for the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Lord is able to, to work in the midst of the, the most dark situation and actually bring light out of it. And I had to learn as it relates to my relationship with the Lord that fatherhood, it's, it actually comes from God. <laughs> fatherhood doesn't mm. originate with my earthly father. Right. You know, God is the one who defines what fatherhood is because he's the first father. He was the first father, right? And so when we look at God, our father, through the lens of scripture, rather than through the lens of our brokenness and through mm-hmm. the lens of our hurt and our pain or bitterness, whatever, you know, unforgiveness, whatever we're struggling with, it opens up a whole new world to us that we see, Mm -hmm. okay, wow. And it's not just that, you know, I'm saved and I've been redeemed through Christ. Christ is saying, okay, and now when you pray, (laughs) you say our father, he's, he's taking us to have a relationship with his heavenly father to say, this is what I've opened up for you. You're united to me. And now you have a father in God. So mm-hmm. access him, sure. talk to him, yes. lay your burdens at his feet, right? Cast your cares over to him. Talk to him about your earthly situation. Talk to him about your parents because he says, though your mother or father forsake you, I will never forsake you. I mm-hmm. will take you in. And mm-hmm. so we have to hold fast to those promises um, and be hopeful for our earthly fathers too. You know, in the process, the Lord saved us, remember, Right. We're mm-hmm. like the chief sinner. He can certainly save our parents if they're still yes. alive. There's still That's hope so there. True. So let's not just cancel them out, right? Um, you know, but to say, you know, the Lord is able to work in this whole situation. He's redeeming this whole situation for his glory. We may not understand all of the details. Um, and I know that there's some people who have experienced even greater hurt than I have, right? A, 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 a much darker story than I have but the Lord is still able to make beauty from those ashes, right? He's still Mm -hmm. able to do wonderful things in your life. And so there's hope. You don't have to repeat the cycles, um, you know, that were passed down through your family line. The cycle of sin and fatherlessness can stop with you. It can stop with you. And the Lord can bring forth legacy out of you. Whether or not you have your own biological, like your biological children, the Lord can birth and bring forth legacy in you that you're doing a new thing through your discipleship relationships and mentor relationships, or if you adopt or foster, um, you know, or just love on somebody who's in the pew next to you. The Lord can do a new thing. (laughs) And so we have to be, we have to be hopeful. And, sure. and, and just be reminded, I think sometimes our eyes can be so focused upon this world and we just have to look up and say, wait mm. a minute, our God is in control. Yes. And he's our mm-hmm. father. He loves us. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, that's so good, girl. <laughs> girl, yes. <laughs> so you and your husband have planted a church in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Risen Christ Fellowship. And we love to emphasize on our podcast the importance of the local church. That is yes. one of very mm-hmm. near to our heart. Um, so, I mean, as you're talking about these things with the fatherless and, and, and the hope we have, how can the local church support um, 
I mean, we may have some some single moms right now listening to mm. you speak about this who need mm. support or, you know, they're looking at their children who say, man, we, th- this guy needs a father figure. He needs mm-hmm. somebody to teach him how to catch a baseball or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Are there some ways, um, well, what drew you to plant in Philadelphia? And then are there some ways that the local church can really support these women? Yeah. Um, you know, my husband had a heart for the inner city here in Philadelphia. So the church is in Germantown. Um and, you know, and, and that's, we are all raised in the inner city, you know, so just having a heart, wanting to see Christ um, penetrate mm-hmm. this city and yeah, penetrate beautiful. the hearts of those who are here. Um, and, you know, as it relates to the church and our responsibility in this matter, I think we have to see that we are responsible for the fatherless. Hmm. The Lord lays it out very clear. And if we are talking about, you know, that we want to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus, who ministered to the least of those, mm, yeah, who was willing, you know what I mean, to, yeah. And, yeah. and even says very clearly in the Word, you need to care for, you know, not only the godless, the fatherless, the widow, right? Yeah. Those who can't give you anything in return, yeah. Um and, 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 and even James, you know, I mean, it's like cloaked under, here's the true religion. Like if you, if you, you know, want to truly be a servant, mm-hmm. then you will, part of what you're going to do is care for the fatherless. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when Jesus, you know, he says, you know, where were you, right? When I was in prison, you know, did you visit me? And, right. you know, it's, it, it, hopefully it will spur us on to say, I want to, I want to do the work that Jesus is telling me to do mm-hmm. as he has called me to love my neighbor. And very practically, I think that can look many different ways. It can look like adoption. It can look like fostering. But also, as you mentioned, it can look like here's a single mom with a son. Um, you know, I am, you know, maybe my husband, who's a godly man, can say, let's, you know, maybe take this family on you know, with us to vacation, right? Or we're going to go fishing, you know, let's, can you, can your son come, you know, along? Um, It could look like also, um, you know, challenging if you see single young men or men who are married, who didn't have their fathers in their life coming Mm. alongside them and saying, how can I pour into them? How, you know, and that means, that means that we have to be known and we have to be willing to know other people. And I think sometimes we, when we look at discipleship, we look at it as only, okay, let's open up the Bible. Yeah. Let's talk through, you know, which yes, we need to understand how to, how to read the scripture in context, a proper hermeneutic, you know, how to rightly divide the word of God, that those are important things. And we need to keep that there. And we need to add to that to say, do you know how to change a tire? All right, young lady who didn't have her father, yeah. <laughs> let me change your oil for you. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Definitely. Let me teach you how to balance a budget. Let me let me yes. walk with you um, and, and fill in some of those holes that maybe you've had because your dad wasn't there. Exactly. So what I hear you saying, which I think is so beautiful, is we have to recognize that at the local church, we're here to kind of meet those needs, right? Just mm-hmm. meet each other's needs. But what that does is that, like you said, makes us responsible to the mm-hmm. fatherless, mm-hmm. but it also gives us hearts for the fathers mm-hmm. so that we are mm-hmm. seeing that we can even see the local church be uh 
part of building, rebuilding community in sure. ways that without Christ may not have happened. So I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So Blair, we, I'm, we have to wrap up and Lord knows, I wish we had like, we have to, we might have to, Courtney, we might have to bring Blair back for part two. I know it, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> because there's just so much that we could ask you and so much that we want to pick your brain about. Um, but as we close, what is one piece of advice that you would leave with women who want to honor God through their vocation, through their calling, through their work? Hmm. One of the, one thought that I have is always be reminded of who you are in mm. Christ. Um, know that that never changes. Our, you know, depending upon the season of life that we're in, our life may change. Our schedules will change. Sometimes we're doing a whole lot. And then we realize like, oh, I got to pull it back in to make sure I'm hitting off what's, you know, most important or what my priorities are in this Mm -hmm. season. Um, You know, so you hold those things loosely, but you stand firm in who you are in Christ. Like Mm -hmm. that does not shift. And knowing who you are in Christ will help you so that when you have to shift things around Mm -hmm. because of your schedule changes, it won't, cause you to be discombobulated, you know, when you're like, where am I? What's going on? What's up and down? It's like, no, it's all right. If in this season, I need to work a little less, I'm mm. still in Christ. Nothing has changed or shifted about who I am in the Lord. Um, and if I'm in a season where I'm busier, praise be to God. All right. He, I'm still in Christ. You know, this doesn't make me yes. more loved by God That's right. or less loved by God. I'm loved by God and he's loving me to eternity. Every day of the week. (laughs) Mic drop. That is awesome. (laughs) Blair, it has been such a pleasure to get to know you. I I am so encouraged by this conversation and I love seeing and meeting women who are using what God put within them for his kingdom and glory. And Mm -hmm. just talking with you today, it just sounds like that is exactly what you're doing. And so press on, keep going. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. And thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.